Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Gee, well, this morning, I am so excited. A friend to Painesville Assembly of God, he has been here before and shared, and I know many of you have been blessed by that. He is a friend of myself as well. Would you give a warm PAG welcome to my friend Matt Anderson as he comes to share the word this morning with us? Well, hi. <laughs> it's great to be with you. What a beautiful morning, huh? Isn't it gorgeous? Had a beautiful drive up today and get to be with God's amazing people and uh, to share the word of God that is sharper than any double-edged sword. We've been able to come and hear from very talented musicians. Aren't, aren't y'all blessed to hear that every week? My word. Come on now. That's fantastic. Um, for those of you, if we're meeting for the first time, um, my name is Matt Anderson, and I have a ministry called Monumental Ministries, and it's built around kind of the Old Testament idea of when God did something significant, uh, the people of God would respond in some way. Either they would change the name of a location, they build an altar, sometimes they would stack rocks, and uh, it was there as a visual aid so that years later, when future generations would come upon that place, and the younger generation would say, why is that there? The older generation would say, that's the place where God did this. We need those in our lives, don't we? Because if you're like me, I get amnesia. And I, I'm like, I don't know, when did God do anything for me? <laughs> and I have to go back to the landmarks and monuments that God has built in my life. So this ministry is about facilitating moments like that in people's lives. Uh, MattMinistry.com is the website. That'll kind of tell you everything that we're all about. Uh, in the store, there's six books that you can look at or purchase. They're also on Amazon if you'd rather go that route. Uh, lots of information there. We would invite you to go to mattministry.com. I also have a podcast that I started a few years ago called MattCast. That's all one word, MattCast. Uh, we kind of, our niche in the podcast world, let's hope it is, is that we try to speak to creative people. I've spent a lot of time in the church world. Uh, I've been a minister of the gospel for 30 years. And uh, I, I date, yes, it's the number just gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? And, uh, but I also was in the art world of Cleveland for 12 years. And I was uh, involved in a, uh, in a nonprofit uh, art, arts and culture agency. And I learned so much from being in that world. So I think I can bring a unique voice to people who are creative. You know, sometimes we in church, we don't know how to speak that language very well. And so artists can kind of feel a little bit out of sorts. We try to bridge that gap as much as we can in this podcast. You don't have to be an artist to like it. I think there's something there for everybody. But we'd love for you to subscribe to the MacCast and be a part. All right, commercial over, and we are going to dive into the Word of God. The Genesis 27, first book of the Bible, Genesis 27. Now, whether we like to admit this or not, popular culture has a big impact on what we do and say. Uh, 
things that we have seen in television, in movies, famous lines that we have heard from those things, find a way, some of them, to filter into our uh, regular conversation sometimes. Let, let me give you a few examples. Uh, the Wizard of Oz gave us, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, right? The Godfather gave us, I'm going to make him a north for you can refuse. That's really good, by the way. That's an excellent God. That's, no, it's terrible, actually. It's terrible. Apollo 13 gave us, uh, Houston, we have a problem. And then in the Terminator, of course, Arnold would tell us, I'll be back. And on and on and goes. Now, one of these lines occurred in the mid-90s. I was a youth pastor at the time, and it came from the 1995 film Clueless with Alicia Silverstone, in which she and her friends were all kind of valley girls. And when they heard something they didn't like, they would respond with one word, whatever. Anybody who was a parent at that time knows what that sounded like because they heard that from their kids. I was a youth pastor at the time and it drove me crazy. It kind of turned into this national craze and the, the whatever got more, more and more pronounced, you know, then the kids would start making a W with their hands when they, you know, and I would just respond. I'm like, you don't even know what part of speech that is. You just take your whatever. But what kind of drove me crazy about it the most was just how lazy and dismissive of a response it was. I mean, it really wasn't even a response. And as I was looking at Genesis 27, I looked into this story and it's a, it's a story I had never preached on before. It's the story of Jacob stealing his father's blessing from his older brother. And when you read through this story, I'm big spoiler alert. When you read through this story, nobody is heroic in this story. And it struck me, all four characters in this story had sort of developed a whatever attitude in their walk in relationship with God. Now, these are very famous people. <laughs> And uh, we can almost rattle off the entire family and their names. But even they were subject to this sort of a attitude of mm, whatever in their own walk with God. So it strikes me that it's easy for me to fall into the very same thing. And let's start with the mother Rebecca for a second. When she was pregnant, God spoke a word over her in Genesis chapter 22. She had twins. And in Genesis 25, verse 22, it says, The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Ladies, any of you have felt like that when it was time to give birth? And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. Watch. The older shall serve the younger. Now move ahead to Genesis 27 to our scripture today. We're starting at verse 1, many years later. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. 
I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now just put a finger there for a second. Keep in mind, God has said the older will serve the younger. So who's supposed to get the blessing? Jacob, the younger. Isaac is not with the program. Verse five. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Now, you don't have to be a mental health clinician to realize this is not a healthy family. One might say they put the fun in dysfunctional. But there's a bigger lesson to be learned in this story. Because God, you know, has spoken over all of us. God has given us his word. He has given us the word of God. It is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Aren't you grateful for the word of God? And that is for all of us. And that is the primary way that the Lord speaks to his children. Not the only way, but the primary way. And everything is evaluated against the word of God. But each of us also has an individual thing going on. Everybody in this room, there is an individual journey going on that does not uh, coincide with someone else's. Everyone is quite unique. And the Lord wants to speak to us in that as well. And in that process, in that journey, God can send us some crazy directions. And sometimes we get tired of the crazy directions or we get tired of waiting. And what can happen is we start to adopt a whatever attitude in our Christian walk. And that's what I want us to guard against this morning as I preach on whatever Christianity how the Lord wants us to avoid stepping into the problems that these great people from the Old Testament fell into. You know, when we dismiss God's word and plan, we can fall into whatever Christianity and we end up resembling one of these four characters, maybe more than one, but I'll guarantee you more one than the others. So let me just quickly this morning dive into these characters and let's find out how they were all kind of missing the mark. Let's start with dad. Let's start with Isaac. Isaac was defying. His attitude was whatever. I know what's best. Now with each of these, whatever statements that I'm going to give in this message, these obviously aren't the actual words that they're saying, 
But the mindset and the actions show it's kind of their operating system. So here Isaac is pulling, and I don't, this is definitely a guy thing. He's pulling the, I got it, I got it. And he, right, guys, come on, we can, it's church, we can confess, right? When somebody tries to help, uh, you know, when, when your wife is trying to give you drag, I got it, I got it. We can fall into that so easily. And in spite of God's word given to Rebecca, he's sending out Esau to get the blessing. Even though Isaac knew differently. Isaac assumed, and that's the key word. Isaac assumed that because he was the father, he was in charge, but without consulting the father. Without knowing it, we can end up defying the Lord and what he desires. Husbands, dads, the only way this whole family thing works is if we are surrendered and consulting with the Lord over our lives and our families. Without it, the family becomes a Jenga tower. We don't just assume that because we have authority that we're always right. We must always involve the Lord. Now, we saw the word from God spoken to Rebecca. And there is no way Isaac did not know about this. I mean, how does God spoke to me in an audible voice not come up in conversation? He had to know what God's plan was. But still, Isaac allowed favoritism or some other reason to prefer Esau over Jacob. You know, it was often assumed in ancient times and even further than that, uh, further on in history, that the firstborn would naturally inherit most, if not all, the family estate. And maybe that's playing into Isaac's defiance here. But you know, God often did not follow that pattern in scripture. God was going to bless the secondborn here. Keep in mind, it was Adam and Eve's third son, Seth, from whom the Messiah would come. You know, even Isaac himself, you realize Isaac wasn't the firstborn, right? Ishmael was the firstborn. How quickly Isaac forgot. If I, if I can kind of stretch your minds a little bit on a Sunday morning, even in the Garden of Eden, you know, the Lord made human beings last, but he gave them control and authority over all the created things. We can't put God into a box, can we? We can't figure him out. So we must never assume anything. Well, a guy named John, he was a photographer for CNN. He was documenting a, a large forest fire. And he was told that a twin engine plane would be waiting for him at the airport so that he could go up and take pictures. Well, arriving at the airport, he, he spotted the plane warming up outside of the hangar and he jumped in. And he goes, let's go. Well, the pilot taxied and took off. And once in the air, John told the pilot, now I want you to fly low over the valley so I can take pictures of, of the forest fire going on over there. And the pilot was like, well, why would I do that? Well, surprised, John said, because I'm the photographer for CNN. I need to get some close-up shots. And the pilot got strangely silent for a moment. And then he said, so what you're telling me is you're not my flight instructor? 
Never assume, folks. You know, we're talking great movie lines. Here's one of my favorites of all time. It's from the movie Rudy, in which the priest says to this young man who's really trying to find an answer, that in all of his years of religious education and service, he has come to two conclusions. There is a God, and I am not him. Oh, that we could all come to that same conclusion. We really don't know what's best. We make a terrible God. We need to hear from God regularly and then follow his plan, not ours. All right, let's move on to the misses. Let's go to Rebecca. Isaac was defying, but Rebecca was devising. Her attitude was whatever. God needs my help. How many are ready for the altar call? Like right, right now. <laughs> so Rebecca overhears the conversation between Isaac and Esau. And she begins devising a scheme to make it happen. I am now speaking to all of you make it happen people out there. I, they're, well, they're, they're probably not here, but you have read about them. You know they exist somewhere. But this will help with them. So this is all you engineer kind of people who find a way and make it happen. Now, keep in mind, there's two things at play here in the family dynamic. There's a birthright and there's a blessing. A few chapters earlier, we see that Jacob tricked slash stole the birthright from a very apathetic Esau. The birthright is all about authority, kind of being the official standard bearer and the head of the family upon the death of the father. Esau swore an oath to give all that away for an afternoon snack. The blessing now is at play here. This is the family blessing, which is all about multiplication, having many descendants and abundance. Rebecca takes matters into her own hands. There's the key phrase. She tells Jacob to deceive her almost blind husband by costuming himself in such a way that even if he doesn't sound like Esau, smells and feels like him. She felt like God needed her help and she was gonna to go to any deceptive length to make it happen. But what it really shows is a deep distrust in God. See, this is the philosophy of, well, it ain't going to happen unless I make it happen. Now, on a lot of levels, we could applaud this self-starter and having that kind of initiative as a good old American, but it harms us vertically with the Father. You know, we can even use Scripture to rationalize this kind of mentality. You know, I have to make it happen. After all, you know, faith without works is dead. Was Rebecca not aware that God is um, God? That he can kind of make things happen himself? That what he wills is going to be accomplished? When God gave his word during her pregnancy, he meant it. It didn't matter what Isaac did or said. See, what we're really saying is, Okay, clearly God is kind of, I'm going to stay, I'll make it happen. Stand back, everyone. I'll handle this. And that was what Rebecca sprung into. 
You know, the Bible is filled with stories of folks who took matters into their own hands in order to help God. Rebecca only needed to speak to her in-laws to talk about this. Remember, Sarah, you're going to have a baby, God said. And she waited and she waited. And how many can relate? You're like, waiting and the stupid red light won't change, you know? You're like, God, still at the intersection. Oh, that's tough, isn't it? I'm not going to minimize that. But then Sarah suddenly, ah, ah, not me. It's the maid. Bring the maid in here. And thankfully, no problems resulted from that decision whatsoever. Not at all. It's long forgotten. God does not help those who help themselves. That is an unbiblical phrase. Because those who help themselves always mess things up. God helps those who call out to him for help and then trust in his goodness and timing. God doesn't need my help. He likes us to work together. Which means I don't get in front of him. He's still kind of capable. So let God do his thing when he decides best. Boy, believe me, I know whereof I speak. This is so like my area right here. I grew up in a very dysfunctional environment in which the only way I could say it is bombs were dropped on a regular basis. In which at a moment's notice, our entire lives would just change. And when you grow up in an environment like that, the one thing you want is control. And I was determined to never be put in a position where other people can do that to me again. So I went into the ministry, Pastor. I wasn't, wasn't thinking whatsoever. Where was my thinking there? The staff is laughing. But I still had this tendency. I'm like, no, I got it, Lord. I got it. I'm in control. Here, I, I got just Let me take over. I can figure this out. And the Lord has to frequently remind me of my favorite scripture in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You know, at one point, Rebecca tells her son, did you catch this in the scripture? Let your curse be on me. You know what's interesting? After this chapter, you really never hear about Rebecca in the narrative story again. I mean, she's referred to a few times later in Genesis and once in Romans, but she really vanishes from the story. She's the only patriarch matriarch in Genesis where we never really hear about her death, only her burial. She sort of vanishes from the story and makes you wonder, did she get what she was asking for? All right, let's go to Esau. Isaac was defying. Rebecca was devising. Esau was denying. His attitude was whatever. Nothing I do has consequences. You know, it's kind of hard to understand Esau. Do you ever read just biblical characters and you, do, do you ever just stop your devotional reading and go, dude? Right? You're just, really? You know? It just, he strikes me as a guy who, who just doesn't see the big picture, you know? But actually, he's more relatable than we realize. 
Because when we all sin, and we all do, we're not looking at the long-term consequences either. Only in the moment. And that's how we all get drawn away and enticed. You know, I was Christmas shopping for my brother, who's a pastor. And uh, I was at kind of a high-end shopping center. And, and, uh, and I saw this display. I was going to buy him a messenger bag for, for Christmas. And uh, those of you gift-giving uh, folks who, that's your love language, you're going to so relate to this. You know, I'm looking around and everything's kind of in the $50, $60 range. And I'm like, okay, that's good. That works. But it's not the bag I want, you know. And then I saw the one. Right? Gift-giving people, right? The light shines from above, angelic choir cues. And you're like, <gasps> And you're already anticipating Christmas morning and the, the sight of glee that will happen when they open the package that you have prepared for them. And when I saw it, I was like, that's the one. Now, there wasn't a price tag on it, but, you know, I saw what all the neighbors cost. So I'm like, eh, we'll bring it up. So I brought it up to the cashier and she, she brought it up and on the screen said $200. Yeah, I'm a Pentecostal, so I made an utterance. I'm like, ah! You know. Isn't it funny? Satan never shows the price tag, does he? He only shows the slick packaging. And by the time we make our purchase, we realize it's a lot more expensive than we thought it was going to be. This was the problem that Esau often fell into. And I'm sure maybe it's because he's the firstborn. He just assumes good things are coming his way. But when he gives up the birthright, I don't know, maybe he thought it was a joke or he just didn't care about it at all. But I have to tell you, the writer of Hebrews has something to say about this. In Hebrews 12, the writer writes, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now here's the beautiful thing. We celebrated communion this morning. The beautiful thing is, under this wonderful dispensation of grace, you and I are never frozen out because of one mistake. How many times have you and I rejected something that we should have embraced. And the Lord doesn't say, sorry, pal, you're out. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the sacrificial death of the Lord in substitution for you and me and his glorious resurrection today, whatever you brought into this sanctuary with you can be surrendered at the cross and it can be wiped away. Nothing is lost. Everything is gained in Christ. What a wonderful blessing. God cares about the condition of our heart. And, and yes, we cannot dismiss sin in our lives. If we allow it to fester, eventually, like Esau, we won't care about what we should care about. You know, that's one of the effects of sin that I probably haven't talked about enough from the pulpit. You know what sin does? It makes us care about the wrong things. It shifts our cares from the things of God to the things of this world. 
And it may not be some outright immoral big thing, however we define that, but I just stopped caring about my relationship with God. And I start caring about relationships with other people who don't remind me of God. That's a really big shift that sin pulls. It just makes us care differently. And that really happened in Esau's life. And by Esau's attitude and actions, it's easy to see why God proclaimed what he did. There was no way the Messiah could come from his line. And by the time Esau gets back, Jacob has now stolen the blessing as well. You know, Esau is living proof that even in this era of grace, sin, uh, sin still has consequences and will only rob us of greater things. The Lord wants you, my friend, not your talent, not your intelligence, not your connections. He wants you. All of that can be stripped away and he wants you. Just you and your heart. As flawed as it might be. He wants to receive that today. If sin has become prevalent and dominant in our heart and actions, we just need to come back to him and allow him to again be our greatest pursuit. Lastly, we go to Jacob, the most famous member of the family. Well, Jacob was deceiving. If you know anything about Jacob, this is nothing new. His attitude is whatever. It's for the greater good. You know, Jacob means like deceiver, trickster, heel grabber. That was the phrase that was used. Because as they came out of the womb, Jacob was grabbing at Esau's heel. So imagine going to school on your first day. And the teacher says, as soon as we have a new student here in the class, we, let's welcome deceiver. Deceiver, say hi to everybody. Everybody, deceiver. Lunchtime's going to be tough for that kid. Yeah. And as usual, Jacob lived down to his name. So let's look and see what Jacob does here. And let's try to count the lies. Back to Genesis 27, verse 18. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Oh, I love this response. He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Isn't that just rich? Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Nonstop lies. Jacob should have run for public office. Sorry. How does someone justify lying on this kind of scale? Well, Jacob thought it was for the greater good. 
that he received the blessing. So he went along with his mother's plan and lied as often as he could to get it. Boy, we have to realize how dangerous this is. I, ha I have to say there's a trend that I'm seeing in the United States. In the church. In the United States. Because I'm about to describe tens of millions of people in our country and a lot of Christians. Because many are living with this philosophy. If I want it, God wants it. There's a lot of pseudo-spirituality out there. And a lot of it centers on this kind of unbiblical thinking. We assume we are in line with God, no matter what. Therefore, if I want it, God wants it. Have you noticed all the assuming going on in this family? I mean, Isaac assumed he was always right. Rebecca assumed God needed her help. Esau assumed his choices didn't matter. And now Jacob assumes the ends justify the means. Deceiving begins with the father of lies. And then us deceiving ourselves with those lies. Christians are doing and saying all kinds of unbiblical things with the assumption that if they want it, God then wants it. It just isn't so. We don't turn into the world to win the world. We have it all in reverse. Only if God wants it, do I want it. And if I want it, I must first submit it to the Lord to find out if he wants it. Because God often says, <clears throat> no. You know what? I, I may be more grateful now for no's from God more than yeses. I think back on some things I asked, I asked of him and he went, no. And I kicked and screamed and threw a fit. But boy, I reflect on it now and I go, mm, thank you, Jesus. The no's are just as glorious as yeses, folks, because God is speaking. Everybody still with me? Okay. Just making sure. Okay. I know it's tough. It's tough when God says no or not yet. Because then what we do reveals whether we're in the Isaac family. And we have to start making some very hard choices in light of the worldliness that is trying to penetrate into the church. And I think the key to whatever Christianity is one word, submission. I have preached for 35 years. I've never gotten an amen from the word submission. Ever. Right? There's never, woo! That's right! Bring it! People are like, shut up and move on. I know. It's not the stuff of Christian bumper stickers. I get it. But I'm telling you, it is the key. It is the root of most, if not all, the problems of Christians and families and churches. If we aren't submitted to Christ, it all falls apart. Everyone in this family was like a wild stallion that needed to be 
broken. Isn't that an interesting term? Of whatever Christianity. It's kind of counterintuitive. But true freedom begins with submission. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Only in Christ does that make sense. A horse has to submit to a rider. I have yet to see a horse win the Kentucky Derby without a jockey. It doesn't work unless he's driving the train. And I'm submitted to his commands. It's the only way it works. If not, I'm just roaming wildly all over the countryside, expending energy and accomplishing Nothing. I need to submit myself to his hands. I want to wrap this up with a, uh, a clip from the old movie, The Horse Whisperer. In the movie, a daughter and her horse are severely injured in a riding accident with a semi-truck. And the daughter loses her leg. The horse is unrideable. And everyone is saying, you should put the horse down. Even to the point where the daughter is saying, you might as well put me down too. And her mother, in desperation, seeks out a man she's read about in Montana who supposedly has a special connection to horses. And it's hoped that somehow he can help the horse submit. And maybe, uh, maybe you can relate to uh, the horse in that clip. And for whatever reason, you know, whether you were You've been injured in life. It's just made you resistant. And every time the Lord tries to come close and get his hands on you, maybe you even kick him away. But you're here today. And maybe there's someone in the room today, you've never made a decision to hand your life over to Jesus. We can do that right now. Maybe you're tired of roaming aimlessly in life because you know it's not working. Would you walk Jesus' way and let him put his hands on you? Because those hands are nail scarred and he already took all the penalties for your sin. All you have to do is believe. So where you're seated this morning, if you desire to give your life to Jesus, give him control of your life. From your seat, would you just whisper this prayer to him? Lord Jesus, I want you, I need you, save me, rescue me, remove my sin, give me a new purpose. I submit to your plans, to your will, to whatever you have. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And now I will live for you for the rest of my life. In Christ's name. Now believers, maybe you need to kind of submit. You've been playing fast and loose with God's commands and his leadership in your life. Okay, I know you don't wanna get hurt. 
but how's that working out for you? I'm going to pray a prayer of submission and then the band is going to lead us in a song. And as they do, I want you to respond in some way. I want you to respond in submission. However, the Lord wants you to do that. It might be lifting your, your hands. It may just be looking heavenward. It may be kneeling. It's, you and the Holy Spirit can make that call. But maybe you kind of need to resubmit your life and let him get his hands on you again and bring healing. Then he wants to do that right now. Jesus, I thank you that you can be our Lord and master and that is not an oppressive thing. That is true freedom. And so today, Lord, we just wanna say we're sorry We've been kind of living a whatever life by our own rules, in our own way, in our own path. We're stopping that train right now. And we are submitting ourselves into your hands. Lord, place your hands on us again. Bring healing to us. You have not come to condemn the world. So you are not bringing condemnation here this morning. You are bringing healing and a reminder of your glorious fatherhood and friendship that we've already sung about today. Jesus, we submit our plans. We submit our life to you. Do with it as you wish. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information, about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.